Hello, hello. It's episode 347 of the Keto Diet Podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. Today's episode is pretty awesome, but it's very different from what we generally share. We do talk about keto, so hold tight. I wanted to share a little story about why I'm getting more and more into root cause work this last year. So many of you know that I randomly tested positive for a parasite in December 2020. And this started me on this journey of like, whoa, what else is in there? And so I worked with a practitioner at the time because I had no idea about parasites or anything. So I hired somebody like, help me. I don't know what I'm doing. She didn't really either. (laughs) And it left me in a like total nightmare mess. So what do you do when you're in a total nightmare mess? You don't outsource your health. That's for sure. You figure it out yourself. That's always been my approach because when you outsource and you don't know the people well enough, you know, like know, know them, it's generally going to go sideways. And so that started me on a whole journey, you know, at around that December timeframe, I was dealing with quite a lot of symptoms like GI symptoms. Then we moved into our new home and I started dealing with quite a lot of weight gain. I was eating healthier. I was doing everything that I thought I needed to be doing. You know, I had I thought I had a good handle on it. I was using old tools for uh, an ongoing problem. And I was gaining weight and I was getting more and more tired. And, you know, I would get up in the morning and feel really groggy and puffy and inflamed. And by 11 o'clock, I'd be so tired, like just zonked totally zonked. And so studying a bunch of root cause work, I wondered, am I dealing with mold? Is this mold? So we tested our home for mold. I tested both Kevin and I for mold. Turns out we're positive. We got lots of mold in our bodies. (laughs) So I've been navigating the process of detoxing from mold. I think a lot of our mold exposure came from our last boat. There was a significant amount of water damage on our last boat. And there's a little bit of water damage on this boat. I have done so many things to make our home safe. And it's been such a journey to figure out how to make your home healthy. And you guys, I really didn't think that this would be something that I would ever share about. I know that I've chatted with people in the past about mold illness, and I'm thinking it's a disgusting home where there's growth everywhere and there's mold everywhere and you need to move out of it and it's just disgusting. Or we learn in school is that mold is an allergy and that people are just having an allergic reaction to mold. No, man. Like when we breathe in mold spores, these mycotoxins are created throughout our body. Toxins, literal toxins. And one of the reasons why we gain weight when we are exposed to mold is because our fat cells hold on to those toxins. So our body conjugates toxins throughout our body. So that means that it pairs it up with a little buddy to get it out of the body. Now, if our drainage isn't good, think your body like a sponge, you know, it holds on to things and the squeezing out is our ability to drain. We squeeze out with our kidneys, our bowels, our sweat, our breath. If these things are not working properly, our body can't get rid of them, especially if we can't conjugate If we're low in certain nutrients or our liver is not working properly, our body cannot get these toxins out. Therefore, it will shuttle those toxins into the fat cells because all those toxins are generally fat soluble and we will gain weight 
It's one of many reasons why we gain weight when we are exposed to mold. And so this started me on this huge journey of cleaning up both my body, Kevin's body and our home. We have an amazing air filter. There are two options really, Air Doctor and Aciet. That's A-S-I-E-T. The Aciet filter is quite expensive. We've had it running now in the home for about, I want to say, three months. It has made a significant impact in our quality of life. We no longer have post-nasal drip. We're no longer sneezing or coughing. And I haven't been fatigued. It's fantastic. So I wanted to have my friend, Dr. Lauren Tessier on to chat about mold. Now, this was so cool. God is just so good. I got our ERMI score back, like our ERMI test and our personal mold tests back from real-time labs in my email and I'm looking at them. And at the time I had no idea what it said. And literally out of the blue, Dr. Lauren was like, Hey, what's going on? What do you need help with? Like what, what's happening in your life? And I was like, Oh my gosh, Lauren, this is perfect timing. I'm dealing with a mold situation and you're literally the queen of mold. So it was so great to have her on the podcast and chat about mold and to just go through some of the things that we need to be weary of and mindful of as we make sure that our homes are safe. And if you're dealing with a crazy amount of symptoms and you're not entirely sure why you're puffy, you're inflamed. I mean, we're going to go through some of this stuff today, how it happens and symptoms that we can experience and why the ketogenic diet is so helpful when it comes to mold. It's so good. We're going to have to have Dr. Lauren on the show again if you guys enjoyed this conversation. But for now, let's introduce Dr. Lauren and we'll get going with today's show. So Dr. Lauren Tessier is a practicing naturopathic physician licensed in the state of Vermont. Her practice, Life After Mold in Waterbury, Vermont, is the East Coast's only formally certified SIRS literate naturopathic practice. Life After Mold services those suffering from multi-symptom illness complicated by comorbid conditions such as MCAS and chronic infections including Lyme and co-infections, EBV, CMV, etc. If you have no idea what any of those are, it's fine for those suffering with these things. And when you start down this rabbit hole, you realize that parasites come with heavy metals, that come with mold, that come with Lyme, that come with co-infections, that come with viruses, that come with bacteria. If you got one, you probably got multiple of them. So Dr. Lauren serves clients from all over the world via in-office medical care or through educational wellness consults. She also provides one-on-one private training for practitioners looking to improve upon their mold literate clinical skills. Dr. Tessier is the president of ISEAI or the International Society for Environmental Acquired Illness and has been in service to the nonprofit since 2017 in the roles of of Secretary, Vice President, and General Board Member. The free booklet, Mold Prevention 101, authored by Dr. Tessier, is available on her website and has been circulated worldwide. You can find Life After Mold on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Pinterest. Her website is lifeaftermold.com. Her Instagram, the same. Her Facebook, the same. I enjoy following uh, Lauren on Facebook. You can find her at Life After Mold. Before we get going with today's episode, 
episode. I do want to let you know that podcast episodes are moving from Sundays to Tuesdays in 2022. So just a little reminder, if you're totally freaking out, where's my Sunday episode? We're going to go live with new episodes on Tuesdays on January 4th. So if you do like listening on Sundays, you'll already have an episode in there ready to go for the weekend. If you want to catch up on previous podcast episodes or you want links for today's show, you can go to ketodietpodcast.com. And also, if you have questions about anything that we chat about today, head on over to healthfulpursuit.com slash contact and you can ask me questions there. Okay, let's get started with today's episode. Hey, I'm Leanne Vogel. You're listening to the Keto Diet Podcast. I've created a free guide with tips on how to start keto and maintain your fat-fueled life. Grab it at healthfulpursuit.com slash free as a little thank you for listening to the show. Hi, Dr. Lauren. How are you? Good. How are you? Thanks for having me today. Oh, yeah, of course. It's been a long time coming. I'm really excited to pick your brain about mold. (laughs) Oh, good. That's what I'm here for. I'm very excited for this. So I recorded your bio, all the official stuff, but I'd love for you in a couple of words to tell us who you are, what lights you up. Sure, sure. So I'm Dr. Lauren Tessier. I'm a licensed naturopathic physician. I am based in Waterbury, Vermont. What lights me up? Well, I would have to say mold lights me up and probably all things related to fungi. That's one of the the underlying things that really got me inspired in this realm. Other things that light me up in addition to this would be my little one, definitely, and my cats. So and gardening. Oh my gosh, gardening. So these things have definitely been my my sanity over the past couple of intense years or intense year and a half. That's for sure. And a lot of people might be their first conversation and hearing about mold. They have these preconceptions of the black stuff that grows on the wall sometimes and you just paint over it. No big deal. Can you tell us like what mold is and why it's a concern for our health? Sure. So kind of stepping back to super basic biology. Sorry, everybody. We have three major kingdoms, right? We have the plant, we have the animal, and then we have the fungi kingdom. The fungi kingdom is where we find all our molds and our yeasts. Our yeasts are referred to as our one single celled organism. So they're just one little guy existing alone versus a mold is going to be multicellular. So it's going to be a few different cells kind of existing in that. When I talk about kind of mold and things like that, I'm kind of using them interchangeably and using the concept of fungi interchangeably. But these guys really exist on cellulose-based, organic-based, high-carbon, high-carbon food sources. So that could be sugars, that can be paper, that can be dust, dirt, dander, debris, anything that's going to have that carbon component. And we have to remember that while they can be also really toxic, they can also do some really cool stuff medically and with all these uh, cool things with uh, remediating the environment with oil spills and all this kind of stuff. So I like kind of throwing a little disclaimer out there is fungi is not all bad, but when it's bad, it's problematic and it definitely needs to be addressed, especially if you're finding it in the internal kind of built environment. 
And how does it happen? So I'm assuming that it's in the environment, either in your home or your workplace, and you're exposed to it once or a couple times. And what happens when that occurs? Yeah. So it really depends on the person. So I'll kind of take a step back and talk a little bit about how it happens in an environment. So as mentioned, it needs that food, that high carbon-based food, but then it needs proper temperature. So that tends to be warm right around our body temperature. And then also it needs a good amount of humidity, humidity typically above 35%. So in an indoor built environment, whether it's home, work, school, your car, huge red flag there. I want people to think about that. You can have these things just kind of grow. So mold is always going to exist in a space. Actually, mold spores, the tiny little seeds that kind of float around and get mold to grow in these ideal conditions. You're never going to exist in a vacuum where a spore doesn't exist. So when you're thinking about, well, how am I safe in an indoor built environment? The best way to really go about doing that is to control humidity as low as possible and to always kind of clean up any of that high carbon stuff, dust, dirt, dander, debris. So when people become exposed, the development of their symptoms is really dependent on quite a few different things. And we're still figuring out what the heck that is. I think there's some parts that are genetic for sure with what do your detox pathways look like? There are other parts that could be kind of how many other exposures have you had previously? Like how full is that toxin bucket? And so because of these two major things, you'll see families in the same household where mom will be sick, dad won't be sick, and one of the kids will be sick and the other won't, or both kids will be only slightly sick. So it's, it's really interesting to see how it just shifts and changes for people. The other thing that we always need to remember about this is mold doesn't just interact with one way in the body. There's a few different ways that mold can cause some pretty significant health issues in the body. And so if somebody's listening, like I keep my home really clean, I don't see any mold or anything around, I'm safe. Is that a fair assessment or what would you say to that statement? I get hopeful and I get excited when I hear that statement from people because you can live in a safe home and you can exist in a safe home. That is for sure. And you can also remediate safely and live in a home safely after a successful mold remediation. So I get really excited when I hear people say that. What I get worried about is when people say, oh, I see mold growth growing, you know, on the trusses of my subfloor in my basement and I feel totally fine. And it's always makes me take pause because if you see visible mold growth there, well, you might not be impacted other people in your family could be impacted in a way that you're not anticipating or recognizing. So for instance, mold can cause some brain inflammation. It can cause big histamine dumps in the brain. And so we can have shifts in your serotonin and dopamine. And so especially in kids, you know, they might look like they have some inattention issues or they might have inability to sit still, or they might have some digestive issues or some of these things. And so when people say, oh, but I'm totally fine, it's like, okay, well, let's step back and just ask, what are your underlying health conditions? Do you have anything at all going on? Because it's not just like the cough and the itchy eyes that you're going to have with exposure. So I always invite people in that instance to say, what is my thing? What is happening in my body? And then see if there is kind of a connection there that can be made. 
Remember that time I had the guys on from Formula episode 301 where we talked about our experiences with ADD and ADHD and how big a game changer nootropics have been for us? If you're struggling with your brain, difficulty focusing, unpredictable energy dips, quick to get distracted, you may benefit big time from taking nootropics as we have. My favorite nootropics brand, Formula, has just changed their name to Thesis and they're offering 15% off to listeners of the podcast. Now, you might be wondering, uh, Leanne, what's a nootropic? Well, they're nutrients proven to improve brain performance. Some call them cognitive enhancers or smart drugs, quote unquote. <laughs> With nootropics, I've boosted my focus, energy, attention span, concentration for long periods of time, getting distracted much less frequently. I'm far more productive. I find myself procrastinating and putting things off less. I've been testing nootropics, and for the past year, I've been using Thesis exclusively. You can visit their website, takethesis.com. You'll take a short assessment, and based on their data set, you'll be recommended four nootropic variations to test in your first month. You can then schedule a time to speak with a nootropics coach from their team anytime to help you find the optimal formulations for your brain chemistry. Then they will customize your orders with the formulations that work best for your goals and your physiology. Go to takethesis.com and use the code KETO for 15% off. Again, that's takethesis.com with the code keto. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And what are the different ways that mold can interact with the body? You, you talked a little bit about the mold spores and the dust settling, I would guess inhalation, but what's happening as it's entering in our body and where does it go? Right. So there's a few different ways that mold can enter the body. And in this part of the dialogue, we're going to start to talk about the difference between mold and the stuff that they produce, right? So mold can interact with the body in a few different spots. It can interact like transdermally, so across the skin. It can interact through inhalation, so breathing it in, or it can kind of be consumed. So I want people to kind of picture that in their mind's eye. Those are the different ways. And then we have to think about what is going into or interacting with the body. Molds produce something called mycotoxins. Not all molds produce mycotoxins. Some of them do, and sometimes they'll produce them under high amounts of stress. They're their natural defense mechanism. And so mycotoxins are small, tiny, fat-soluble chemicals that have the ability to kind of travel freely around their body, around our bodies once they're in because they're so fat-soluble. And so when we're thinking about how mold is interacting with the body, we have to say, okay, is it the mold? Is it the actual organism and the crunchy, dried little fragments? Or is it the toxin that it's producing? And when we can sit and think about that, and then think about all the different ways those one or two things are getting into the body, then we have a better picture of how it's going to interact with the body. And so when I'm navigating my clients, I typically say that there's usually four major ways that mold can interact with the body, mold and mycotoxins. And the first one's allergy, right? And that's totally widely accepted by the whole entire medical paradigm. And then there is... Um, infection. And so infection typically only supposedly happens in immunocompetent people, sorry, in immunocompromised people, but we're finding more and more that we have people who have a good functioning immune system who do have some type of fungal infection. 
lumped into that category because that is the organism existing in the body. We also include colonization. And so colonization is the concept that these little bits of fungi, whether they're the unicellular one-celled yeast or the multicellular molds, they can get into the body and they hang out in our microbiome. So just like we have our bacterium and our virome, we also have a myco, right, for fungi, a mycobiome where we have all of these fungi already existing in the body. And some of the literature shows that these particular fungi that are hanging out can also produce mycotoxins. So it's something that I always consider when I'm working with someone is, is the mycotoxin issue coming from kind of the exterior in the indoor built environment or from the food? Or is, I like saying, is the call coming from inside the house, right? Typical like 90s scary horror movie. So in those situations, we really start to think about what is this organism doing in the body? So, so far we have allergy, we have colonization infection. And then the third one, that I see the most common in my practice is mycotoxicosis. And it's a huge long word for just myco, fungi, toxic, exactly what it sounds like, osis is the disease state. So it's a disease state of toxic fungi. And so this is what I was talking about earlier, those mycotoxins getting to the system, kind of our fat soluble float pretty easily and freely around the body. The biggest downfall about mycotoxicosis is it hangs out in the liver, hangs out in the brain and nervous tissue, hangs out in the kidneys, anywhere that we have a lot of fat. And as you know, all our cell membranes are made of some form of fat. Our organs use fat for protection and women are in a really interesting position where we have more sub-Q fat than our marital counterparts. So mycotoxicosis tends to be one of the, the cornerstones of my practice and the work that I do. And so like we said, we have allergy, infection, colonization, mycotoxicosis, and then SIRS. SIRS is also known as chronic inflammatory response syndrome. It was a disease state that was theorized uh, in the 90s, wherein we have something that starts the inflammation in the body and kind of kicks off that fire, but then the fire keeps going and the inflammation keeps going. And so when you step back and you actually look at all these four things, the first two tend to be widely accepted by the current medical paradigm and the latter two, not so much. And so my goal with kind of getting out here and talking to people is to kind of wave my hands in the air and say, hey, like these last two matter. And they are probably one of the more silent epidemics I've ever seen. It's pretty crazy when you start to think about it and you start to see it. I could imagine. And I mean, you were talking about just some of the symptoms, brain fog, fatigue, hormone imbalance could, if it stays in the body long enough, I'm thinking like pretty crazy symptoms, like neurological conditions. I know that Parkinson's, it can look like Parkinson's, but it might not be Parkinson's. Like if it stays in the body for a while, could it also cause pretty big things to happen? Oh, for sure. For sure. And so you're not wrong and you're not far off with the Parkinson's like symptoms. Like we know certain my mycotoxins cross the blood brain marrow and they deplete dopamine. And that's what we see with that Parkinsonian shake is that dopamine depletion. So we've seen that. I've also seen seizure-like disorders and with a huge disclaimer, please do not write off any seizures or epilepsy strictly to mold, always get your proper workups. This is not medical advice, but sometimes we do see these like funky, wonky, abnormal neurological 
issues that pop up that can't be explained. And so we see a lot of the neurocognitive stuff, depression, anxiety, word recall, difficulties following conversation, ADD-like behavior. If you see someone who has adult onset ADD, you definitely want to consider talking about what's happening in the built environment around them. Just by you explaining the types of symptoms, I would imagine this this is completely underdiagnosed and there's probably a bunch of people that don't even know and they might be on other medications or things happening and have no clue as to what the actual root cause is. Would that be fair to say? Oh, for sure. And you'd be surprised, Leanne, like how many people end up coming to my practice after being treated for Lyme disease for like five and 10 years and being run through the ringer with numerous antibiotics, being floxed with floral quinolones, and then coming in with totally just like destroyed gut, you know, and some of these same antibiotics that we're using to battle Lyme disease are mycotoxin source. They're a form of mycotoxins isolated from mold, originally discovered from mold. So yeah, it's so insane. And then to also take a step back and look, kind of following up on that thought, how many of my clients come in with a reactivity to mycotoxin-related drugs, like your statin medications, your cholesterol medications, penicillin allergies. So I'm not saying that there's like causation there. I'm just saying it's a really curious correlation when you start to like make the connections there. You're like, oh, Okay. Like you see it across the board. Wow. You have a very cool job. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so cool. I mean, to be able to help people and really get into the nitty gritty, I'm sure that brings you so much joy and the clients also that you're working with that you can actually help them and find the source of their illness is just, I'm sure that's so freeing for a lot of people. Hey. It's so freeing, but it's also really, really, really hard for them. And it's really hard for me, you know, Leanne, like think about stepping into a situation where you're like the most important thing in my life, where I build my nest, where I hold my family, where I lay my head, like suddenly this is the thing that's like challenging and getting like goosebumps talking about it. That's like challenging and dangerous and scary in my life. Like it is my thing. And if people are familiar with like psychology and Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs, we have this pyramid of needs and to like reach that self-actualization at the top, our peak potential of being human, we need a strong foundation. And that strong foundation is having a physical place to live and be and thrive. And so it's always just like so hard and heart-wrenching to have that dialogue with clients, but I can't tell you how excited and relieved I am when people come to me and the dialogue is already, I think it might be my home and they're already open to it. And they're asking for guidance and who to come test and all these different things. And those are the cases that I get really excited about. I get really nervous and worried about the cases where I have to be the one to tell the person because not a lot of people want to hear it, you know, but that was something I more encountered in my primary care practice, but I don't have that anymore. And life after mold is the name of my practice. So it's literally in the title. So if someone's coming to me, they're pretty much like on board that like mold might be an issue in my living environment. So yeah, it's so wonderful to be able to help people and especially people who have gone like unlistened to medically gaslit for like years, gaslit by family and friends, whether it's intentionally or unintentionally. It's yeah, I love what I do. I absolutely love what I do. (laughs) 
in these crazy times we're in, stress and anxiety are at an all-time high. You know, I wonder if everyone in every generation has said that. While there are many great natural supplements to support anxiety and stress, the one that's helped me the most is CBD oil. CBD has tons of other benefits as well, such as sleep support, clearing acne, reducing inflammation, and so much more. By now, everyone's heard of CBD oil. While some people swear by it, other people have not seen the results that they were hoping for, and this bums me out big time. That's where Eaton Hemp comes in. Their unfiltered USDA certified organic full-spectrum CBD oil is minimally processed and infused in their own hemp seed oil, giving you the full entourage effect, maximum absorption, potency, effectiveness, which means results. Whether you place the tincture under your tongue or use the salve on sore muscles, that's my personal favorite, CBD can and should work for you. And if it's not, you're not using the right product. Not only does Eaton provide one of the cleanest CBD products on the market today, but they pride themselves on transparency. Eaton Hemp is farmer owned and strongly believes in whole plant nutrition. That's why they leave the CBD unfiltered so all the elements of the hemp plant can work in unison. Eaton Hemp is so confident in the results that their CBD will give you that they offer a full 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you aren't satisfied with their product, they're going to refund you with no questions asked. As a special podcast-only offer, you can save 25% on all Eaton Hemp products and still get your full money-back guarantee. Head on over to eatonhemp.com slash keto diet. Use the code keto diet at checkout. Again, that's eatonhemp.com slash keto diet and use the code keto diet for 25% off. And you mentioned just a little piece testing. Can we go into what the right and wrong way to test? Are you testing your home? A lot of people will say, I got the Petri dish thing and it grew all the things and, or didn't, or tell us what the ways are to test in our home versus testing in our bodies. Do you need to do both? And what are the not so great choices? So how much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> we can just briefly touch on it. Sure. So what I will tell people, first of all, this is not legal advice and this is not indoor built environment advice. I'm not an IEP, I'm not a lawyer, but I can only disclose and kind of share what I've seen and learned through working with my clients. In the mold community, a lot of people say, ERMI, ERMI is the only test. And when I first started out, I thought that was the case. And ERMI is kind of this DNA PCR dust testing where you go in, you swab up different areas of the room, you ship it off, they run a DNA analysis, and they see out of 37 of the most common indoor growing molds, which ones are present in the home. And then they get this crunched and calculated score. People live and die by the concept of my ERMI is under eight or under two or da, da, da. it's not so much that that you look at, but rather the actual counts and the sporocolents on an ERMI, because otherwise you can look at the results and just look at that one number and say, my home's totally safe. And meanwhile, because the ERMI involves crunching two different sets of numbers and subtracting one from the other, you can have a falsely safe looking ERMI and have like the moldiest home on the face of the earth. So I always tell people, you need to really look at the global context of everything the same way that I would if you were working with a person. You know, a home is like a person. You got to look at all of it. So I tell people that ERMI can be a benefit the same way a tape lift 
can be a benefit. The same way air testing, if done correctly or done in a room where there is potential to see mold growth and potentially catch it on the little canister, it can be a benefit, but can also miss things. And any of the indoor built environment testing, if you don't catch it, it's not there. And that's really problematic because different molds might be kind of blooming and releasing things into the air during different humidities and during different temperatures. There's even certain molds like your stachyboitrous, your infamous dangerous black molds. Their spores are so heavy and sticky that they don't go airborne easily. And so what you end up doing is people will come in, do an air test in like a really stachyboitrous rich place, and you'll just barely find maybe one or two spores on the ermy. And meanwhile, you turn to the left and they really should have done like a tape lift on the big vat of mold growth that's sitting right there that isn't getting caught on air testing. So I always have people work with an IEP, so an indoor environmental professional, but really do your due diligence and try to find someone who is going to be acting and operating in your best interest and not in the interest of homeowners insurance. The other thing I have to say about that is if you're trying to figure out, well, how the heck do I know if I have a good IEP? What do I need to know? If you head over to YouTube and you search for life after mold, my page will come up and I have a video there that's something like how to find a good IEP. And it goes into all these bullet points, what you want to ask them, what you want to see them bring to a visit, all these kinds of things. And so it's really laid out for people there. So testing, I really encourage people to have a professional do it. While the Petri dishes are great, we always have mold spores kind of floating in the air. And if you put a Petri dish out, you're likely to collect one, two, you know, a handful of mold spores in a relatively safe built environment. In a real toxic environment, sure, you'll see kind of more spores land and potentially more colonies and things pop up faster on that Petri dish when you ship it away. But you will always have spores kind of floating in the air and in the environment. So while I like the idea of doing the Petri dishes as a first screening, it really depends on how much money they cost ultimately. And if you would have been better off putting that couple of hundred dollars for the X amount of Petri dishes towards having a professional really come in and do the work for you. I see. Amazing. And so since this is the keto diet podcast, how yes. can keto help with this? Cause you're talking about them being fat soluble. How does keto have a role in, let's say I have experienced mold, the mycotoxins are happening. What do I do? And does a ketogenic diet help? Yeah. So I love this dialogue and I have to let you know, and I know I've told you this before, but I want people to hear it officially. I suggest your books when I'm working with people. So when I'm like, hey, (laughs) I want you to go and consider doing the keto diet. I just want people to read about it and understand it and see, first of all, if they can bring it into their psyche and what it would look like to have 20 extra grams of fat, like for a week. And then what if we went on to 50 and kind of increased from there? And then we slowly reduced carbs. So I think the information that you have in your book is a wealth of knowledge. And there's so many different ways that people can tailor it to themselves. So plug for you, but also I I do want you to know that I do suggest your books to my clients. So the reason why I suggest the keto diet for a lot of my clients is because of the fat. The fat is the magic in the keto diet for my clients. And obviously 
when you're working with different people, they're going to have different body constitutions. There's going to be people who they're like, I can't get under 30 net carbs because I feel like I'm floating out of my body and I'm not, you know, there are people who really need to be grounded in their body. So I always let people know, like you, we can modify it. We can find a way to make it fit for you, but the magic is really in how much fat, clean fat that we're given the body. So I usually start off by letting people know, you know, when you're giving your body enough fat, you're also giving your body the opportunity to recycle its fat out of storage and kind of like go in and do the spring cleaning on all the little fat pockets around the body. That fat recycling allows you to dump out all the toxins that have either found their way in there because they're fat soluble or our body has chosen to wall off because it was like, I don't know what to do with this at the time that these toxins were introduced to the body. The other way that I really think the keto diet shines when you're dealing with mold illness is the benefit of the dietary cholesterol that you're getting through the the keto diet. And in general, we need cholesterol for so many things in the body. And people, unfortunately, I think have come to understand cholesterol as like a four-letter word, but we need our cholesterol for our cell membranes. And when we have a healthy cell membrane, we can release toxins and bring in nutrients. When we have healthy cell membranes in our nervous system, we have a better neurological functioning. The other thing that we really need cholesterol for is for our hormones. Our cholesterol is the backbone for all of our sex hormones, our steroid hormones in our body. And so when we are navigating mold illness, we can tend to have some funky things happening with our hormones. And so really giving the body the building blocks there is so important. And the way that's kind of compounded is part of the key to treatment for mold illness is working with binders and binders bind up our bile acid. And in general, toxins should be leaving the liver and riding out on our bile. But when we throw in our binder and then we don't think about getting the body more cholesterol to kind of fill up the bile that we're using up, we can definitely cause some problems because then we start to pull the cholesterol out of sex hormones, out of cell membranes and all these types of things. So The cholesterol aspect of the keto diet is, I think, probably one of the more important things when it comes to mold illness. I have so many questions, but I'll keep it to one. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, okay, you mentioned brain fog previously. So I would assume then that having ketones would help with the brain fog. Also, if you're dealing with just so much cloudy brain, could that be beneficial also? Oh, for sure. Like ketones, you know, are the the preferred fuel of the brain. And so, yeah, absolutely. The ketones can really help with that brain fog component too, for sure. And you mentioned statins before. Is it the actual statin that that has mold or is it because statins work to lower cholesterol that that's where the issue is with statins? Oh, look at you with the double whammy. Look at you with the double whammy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's a really, really good point. So with statin medications, it's kind of been created out of red rice yeast extract. And that particular extract interferes with the like cholesterol shuttle, so to speak in the body. And so it's actually a toxin that's impacting that shuttle that allows you to move that cholesterol back and forth and get it processed and used by the body. So that's a really interesting point. I really, really like that point. I think that's phenomenal. So there's definitely a double whammy there for sure. 
I really hope you're enjoying today's episode. I'd love to see where you're listening from. You can snap a pic and tag me at Leanne Vogel or leave a review for the show on your favorite podcast player. It helps me out tremendously. Okay, back to the good stuff. Fascinating. And I guess with fat soluble vitamins, also with the ketogenic diet, you know, I have just about all of our friends now when we go out for salads or food, you know, my husband never likes to put dressing on a salad. He's German and just strange that way. And I'm always like, babe, you got to add the fat. Otherwise you're not going to soak up all the good nutrients. And so all of our friends know when we're eating vegetables, like pass the coconut oil to Leanne because she needs to soak up all the nutrients. But what are we looking at as it relates to mycotoxins and mold illness? And I'm guessing your nutrients are depleted? How does keto play into all of that and making sure that we have enough nutrients? Yeah. So binders in general, when you're treating mold illness are again, binding up that bile, but when you have binders in the gut, they're also indiscriminately binding onto other things, your other minerals, trace minerals, vitamins, all these things that are in the lumen of the actual gut, the hollow part of the gut. And so if you're not supplementing with your like ADEK fat solubles, there is potential that those are going to get bound up along with the bile and the other fat soluble stuff kind of leaving the body through the uh, binders. And so I guess this is similar because fungi and yeast and mold, they're all kind of in the same realm, I guess you could say. And so the ketogenic diet, generally speaking, as long as you're not eating too much fat and creating too many ketones to feed all the little yeasty beasties, can you also, does low carb decrease those food sources for the fungi? Is that the same thing or am I totally confused? No, you're, you're totally on point. And I think your clarity, your request for clarity is really important because I think all too often when we look at the science, people think because two sides to a coin. Because A exists, that means B must not exist. Do you know what I mean? Like the the antithetical aspect of it. So if heads exist, then you're never going to see tails. So it's not always that clear cut. It's not always that black and white when it comes to science. But what we have seen in the literature is that low-carb diets and also, that's that combo there. We can have both heads and tails, low-carb diets and also diets that are high in protein, high in amino acids, and high in saturated fats actually make the environment for something like candida really, really hard for it to thrive. And so that's really cool to actually see the science out there pointing to that. I think a lot of people, and not so much on this show, but the people listening to this episode may know of individuals that say that it's healthier to eat a lower protein ketogenic diet or vegans and vegetarians that are eating lower protein without understanding the role that amino acids take. I mean, through everything and how essential they are. Would you agree with that, that amino acids are needed throughout detoxification and like talk to us about amino acids. Cause you touched on that. And I want to clarify there. Yeah, without a doubt. And I appreciate that. And there's part of me where I'm going to actually defer to your expertise there. I know that if people go way too high in protein, like kind of beyond what you would set for their macros for their weight, they can kind of turn down the sugar realm 
if I'm understanding that kind of really super it's like, glancingly. You know what? It's funny. I just had an interview with somebody this morning and they were talking about gluconeogenesis, which is the creation of sugar through protein. And mm -hmm. there are two very different camps as it relates to protein mm. on a ketogenic diet and whether or not gluconeogenesis is a demand driven state where the liver will only create the sugar if it really needs it, or if it's happening just because there's too much and it's just converting it. But I do know that amino acids itself, you know, I have a mother who's quite sick and she's trying to figure out her health. And I look at her food diary and I'm like, mom, you can't live on bread and almond butter. Like we need you to be eating protein. Like I need you to have amino acids because I mean, they're used for so many processes. I believe they're part of conjugation, how the body, oh, how yeah, the liver sure. pairs up all the little buddies with all the little toxins, like amino acids are required outside of macros. I think anything less than 20% macro of protein is not, no, I just, I don't approve of it unless there's a medical condition where you have to eat low protein. Right. I think 20% and up to like 35, 40%, depending on the person is pretty good. Like I'm usually fine with it. Usually when people are in my office and probably aiming for them at minimum 60 grams per day. And I know that's really going to shift and change for weight, but I usually don't have people go under it. But what I try to steer people away from is making up their kilocalorie count from grams of protein at the end of the day, rather than the grams of fat when I'm navigating keto diet with clients. So, but kind of going back to that, the amino acids are so important. You need them for your everything. You need them for your everything, your, your, <laughs> everything. your neurotransmitters, you know, like I, yeah, it's so important. They are really, really important. And, you know, I, I would like to see amino acids kind of get their next kind of wave come through. Cause you know, they, they're big in like weightlifting and exercise and kind of like post-exercise workout recovery. But I really appreciate you bringing them up as a, a core component for general day-to-day -day health. Cause I think like whoosh, people, people just forget about it. Yeah. And they, they don't truly understand. And I don't think a lot of us do, you know, those detoxification pathways that you were talking about, they can't be properly supported. I think it's phase two detoxification can't be properly supported without amino acids. So mm -hmm. you might be doing everything great in phase one and you might be pooing a lot, but if you don't have that phase two down, the toxins aren't going to go places. Absolutely. And so Dr. Lauren, you have a couple freebies and places that people can go to connect with you. Can you share with us how they can work with you, connect with you, learn more from you? You mentioned your YouTube channel. What else? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm slowly dipping my foot back in the social media water. I hop in and out every now and then. I recently just started TikTok and a Pinterest. So we're seeing how that's going, but you can definitely find me on Instagram and Facebook. I am in Clubhouse, YouTube, but you can find me through Life After Mold. All of the handles are always Life After Mold. And my website is lifeaftermold.com. And on the website, if you sign up for the mailing list and I don't spam people, I probably send maybe like one email a quarter about like supplement sales or the like super benign stuff, you can get a hold of my mold prevention 101 document, which is a really nice little e-booklet that gives you the rundown of kind of what to look for in your home that you might want to keep an eye on. Like 
ah, the French drains around the house, or is that pipe sweating, or is the toilet tank sweating, or, you know, just so people can kind of create almost like a report card for themselves in their house, and maybe check quarterly to make sure everything's still looking okay. So you can definitely get that at the website. And then how I work with people, typically I do in-office medical care for people in telemedicine, for people who are established for in-office medical care. And then beyond that, I do educational mold illness consults where we kind of talk to people about the ins and outs of mold illness. And they're usually working with a physician on their end who's also learning about the process and, and implementing that work. So that's typically how people get to interact with me. And then I do podcasts and I lecture and I, I teach other physicians about how to navigate this crazy world of mold. That is just fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And I'll be sure to include all those links and resources. If you're watching the YouTube video, look down below. And if you're listening to this on the podcast, I just look for all of that in the show notes. Dr. Lauren, thanks again for coming on the show today. Ali, and it's been such an honor. I've been following you for so many years now, and I appreciate being on here. It means a lot. Thanks for listening to the Keto Diet Podcast. Join us again in a couple of days to discover more Keto for Women secrets for your fat-fueled life. Music for the Keto Diet Podcast provided by Yechi. Follow Jacob on Instagram at Yechi underscore official and on Spotify as Yechi. That's Y-E-C-H-I. The Keto Diet Podcast, including show notes and links, provides information in respect to healthy living, recipes, nutrition, and diet, and is intended for informational purposes only. The information provided is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, nor is it to be construed as such. We cannot guarantee that the information provided on the Keto Diet Podcast reflects the most up-to-date medical research. Information is provided without any representations or warranties of any kind. Please consult a qualified physician for medical advice and always seek the advice of a qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding your health and nutrition program.